The Biden administration agreeing to send $6 billion to Tehran, to the Iranian regime, and agreed to a prisoner swap, all being announced on 9-11, the day that is an anniversary of an awful terror act. I'm Simon Constable, and joining me to discuss this and many other things is His Highness, His Imperial Highness, Reza Pahlavi. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been five years since we spoke. What has changed? Uh, first of all, thank you for having me again. Good to see you. <clears throat> what has changed is the dynamics of moving away from the last uh, clinging on uh, hope of reform that is at this point completely, uh, how shall I say, uh, expired. It's shelf life. Uh, the focus is on regime change. The majority of the Iranian people, particularly the younger generation, understand that as long as this system is in place, they won't ever see the light for freedom, for self-determination, for human rights, for putting an end to any kind of uh, discrimination that currently exists, whether it's against the LGBTQ community, whether it is about religious uh, minorities or ethnic uh, groups as a whole, and they stand together unified. The, 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 the positive of the five years moving to where we are right now is that we see the dynamics and we see how much more uh, brave uh, they have acted despite knowing that they could in fact lose their lives, be arrested, be tortured, be executed, be shot in the face as uh, many of our recent victims uh, have witnessed. That hasn't stopped them from continuing on path. And of course the trigger moment was the murder of Massa a year ago and the anniversary a few days uh, from now. and. We expect when we anticipate a major uh, action within Iran and worldwide commemorating this sad and tragic uh, accident, but with a resolve to continue the fight until we are finally liberated. And we'll, we'll come back to Masha in uh, a few moments. But, but first, what do you think of the prisoner exchange, given that most Western governments say they will not negotiate with terrorists, and the current regime in Tehran is well known as a state sponsor of terror. Let me have your view. Well, I mean, look, it's as simple as rewarding <clears throat> hostage taking or kidnapping for ransom. If, if you have, in fact, validated what the regime now knows, it works. And not only it works, they increase the price for each hostages at the same time. If today it's in a it used to be maybe a few hundred thousand dollars, not that you can put a price on anybody's life, but now they're asking God knows for what. And this, especially at the time that we are approaching this anniversary, is right at the time that uh, uh, Raisi, who himself has his blood, his hands stained with the blood of millions uh, of our compatriots, speaking uh, at the UN, what is the message being sent here? Out of principle, you're rewarding hostage taking, and you can anticipate much more. So, the, on the principle of it, uh, I could never uh, understand the reasoning. Now you choose to do it, despite that. Then why a few hostages? Why not everyone that is being kept hostage? What makes one more uh, worthwhile than the other? 
And, and what uh, are your thoughts on the, the announcement of this happening on 9-11, a, a day that I think it's fair to say will live in infinite infamy for a very long time? What do you think of that? Yeah, we have 9-11, and insofar as it uh, affects uh, the American people, it's on the, almost on the anniversary of Massa's murder, as it affects the Iranian people. <laughs> I mean, the timing couldn't be worse. Uh, is, is it intentional? Uh, is it uh, uh, trying to uh, legitimize this regime on the hope of what maybe striking some kind of a deal down the line? It simply doesn't compute. And it wasn't working the first time around under the Obama administration. And at the time, I remember saying that our chief concern uh, is what will happen with the money relief. Almost $1.8 billion in cash was given to the regime. It didn't impact the Iranian people. It didn't impact Iranian society. It was most likely spent on the regime, uh, you know, uh, avant-garde in, uh, in Syria or in Lebanon and, and, and Hezbollah and what have you. This time around, the main question is, how do you claim that you can control how the money is going to be spent? Yes, the money has been released and supposedly it's only for humanitarian so, reasons. So it, on the humanitarian side, uh, let's let's take a big uh, trip back to history. During the Cold War, America sent lots of wheat to Russia because Russians were starving. And that seems to be a very uh, benign thing to do. Why is the administration, do you, do you know, why are they not sending food and medicine, which are humanitarian things and cannot necessarily be used for other things? That's an excellent question. In fact, I'd say if the intent is to give humanitarian aid, you can certainly bypass the government and give it to NGOs in kind, uh, because the regime says, give us the money, we have to decide how to spend it. <laughs> Do you think it's going to be spent on the Iranian people? Of course not. Is it going to be? You're rewarding a regime that is shooting people in the face and murdering them in prisons to supposedly use the money for humanitarian reasons, it just doesn't make any logical sense. It is just uh, showing to what extent there is naivete and unfortunately rewarding uh, a regime that would continue doing what it's been doing all these years. And it's really, a, I think, a slap in the face of millions of Iranians who expect different, especially from a country that calls itself the champion of uh, liberty and freedom, and then its government right now is going yet again uh, in bed with a regime that has proven time and again that it cannot be trusted, that its intentions are vile, and the way it treats its own citizenry is nothing that the world today can faint uh, ignorance because the evidence is out there, social media and everything so, else that we see. I've, I've read that the Secretary of State for, for the U.S. is saying... Qatar will take care of the money and make sure it's only used for legitimate purposes. What do you, what do you say to that, knowing what you know about Qatar? Now, of all the governments that could have been selected to do that, why Qatar? Qatar has always been the only country in the region with the most uh, deference to, to the current regime. And it's not a secret. Everybody knows that. Uh, and, and, and therefore, you're, you're talking about... Uh, a partner that is actually much more in, uh, aligned with, with, with the regime than anything else. So, uh, again, it shows that you could have picked, I don't know, Switzerland. You could have picked uh, a neutral country. You could have picked uh, some other mechanism. <clears throat> and, of course, I, I bet you the regime said, oh, you have to do it through them because the regime only trusts maybe certain en en entities or governments. But the whole principle of it uh, to begin with 
is uh, you know you you are giving away something and all right uh, every human life uh, has to be respected uh, th but they shouldn't be taking hostages in the first place so you are that, now validating that uh, th that's an absolute i think ev everyone understands that but why do iranian dual nationals keep going to iran knowing that there's a high risk that they get arrested on whatever charges and put in prison. What, why, why would anyone do that? I, I don't think I would want to do that. I don't think many people I know would want to do that. I'm not saying that it's not a fair question to ask. And yes, uh, in a very realistic way, if you know that you're entering a hot zone or something that is uh, problematic, maybe you should think twice about traveling there. But if you look at the other side of the coin, are we in this world that we hope every citizen of any country should be free from any kind of uh, threats or, or thing, live in a world where from fear that there are some who are going to be out there violating our freedoms, we should never step out of the house and lock ourselves in. We cannot face such a world. And the whole point is exactly that. You're talking about a regime that has lost its legitimacy in the eye of its own citizenry, is trying to maintain itself in power at the cost of brutalizing and murdering our, our citizens. And mind you, we are talking about a nation where Iranians are freedom-loving people. We value the very same principles of human rights and liberty as a French or an American or a Canadian or a Swedenwood. We are made of the same cloth and it, it behooves me, it, it, it baffles me, that uh, governments that are supposedly on the side of human rights and freedom have seldom wanted to believe that Iranians are the alternative to this regime, that we ought to invest every energy we have on making them succeed, because this regime, on the other hand, is the antithesis of, of these principles, and it has proven it by, 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 by these more than once uh, in the past 40 years. So rather than wasting time on maintaining the status quo with the hope of some kind of behavior change and that now there'll be nice boys and play uh, nicely in the sandbox, we have to think beyond that. And I'm here to voice that to your viewers and everybody yep. listening to us that it is time that you make a decision what side of history you want to stand on. The people of Iran who are bravely fighting this regime or continually dealing with a regime that cannot be trusted and is only there to preserve itself at the expense of my fellow country. So, so talking about being on both sides of things, the, the Masha Act has been passed by the Foreign Affairs Committee in, in Congress, and that seems like a big deal. And this con obviously condemns the, the, the murder of uh, Masha Amini, a young woman who was uh, beaten to death by the uh, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard, uh, and it, it's it's horrible, and everyone agrees that the fact that these two things came out together, what do you make of that? Because that seems to me to be doing one thing, chastising this regime, and at the other time rewarding it. And I'm a bit confused by that. It doesn't seem consistent. Well, you know that's one of the beauties of separations of powers, <laughs> the checks and balance system. Maybe one branch of government is doing something wrong, but not all of them at the same time. I was grateful to the congressmen, women and the congressmen who actually uh, signed the Massa Act, and hopefully it will pass uh, the Senate as well. It is important in the sense that when legislators decide to take action, 
when they, they hear the voices of people, whether it's their own citizenry or other people, they cannot remain indifferent. I will point you to the example of years of conflict with, uh, with uh, the Soviet bloc and the countries behind the Iron Curtain. What happened with Russian dissidents at the time they were stuck in the gulags of Siberia? The support that Lech Walesa and his friend got during the Solidarity Movement in, in, uh, in Poland or- And he, or he was a union- Lech Walesa was a, uh, a union leader in Gdansk or Danzig, whatever you want to call it. And it was a big deal when he started protesting Soviet yes, rule. Yes. yes, and take the case of South Africa and all the sanctions that followed as a result of uh, maintaining, I mean, the world at some point said enough is enough. And it was not until uh, legislators came in and laws were passed and sanctions were brought and uh, and, and ultimately governments had, had found the courage to take the, the, the right side that finally there was an end to apartheid in South Africa. Well, and in that, this case, I think Iran in some way resembles uh, an assembly of these various models uh, that these legislators to finally hear and, and, and take action upon it. Our members in the European Parliament are beginning to do this more and more. Is it enough? Not quite, but it's already a start. And uh, as far as the, the U.S. goes, I'm, I'm glad at least that the legislative side is taking some measures, and uh, so, it's certainly better than what and, it was and before. And other, other, other countries are as well. Um, recent news was Australia to impose sanctions on Iranian state media over broadcast of forced <clears throat> confessions, uh, and also uh, they're pushing down on oppression of women and, and girls, which we know is happening in Iran in Iran too. Yet at the same time, we also get reports that Iran is skirting the sanctions and managing to sell its oil to Russia or, or get oil from Russia and, and, and make that available to China as well so that the sanctions can be skirted. What do you make of that? Are the sanctions useless? We, we do know that things leak out of countries, and I, I mean that metaphorically, you know, when, when you put sanctions on money can flow out of that country, it doesn't become a, a fixed thing. But this seems very strange. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, there are many elements of sanctions altogether that had made life much more difficult for the regime. Although in some cases, it's also making life difficult for the opposition to the regime. Let me give you a tacit example. Uh, let's say that uh, many Iranians would like to be able to help uh, the compatriots back home, insofar as, for instance, uh, funding labor strikes and, and, and workers. And as we know, in the civil disobedience campaign, one of the most direct way to paralyze the system is by uh, sustaining uh, work stoppages or, or strikes. But how do you send the money in? Because we had issues like in America, you have OFAC and limitations to that. So sometimes sanctions may, in fact, restrict the regime they do find some loopholes every now and then. It's not foolproof, but it's at least some level of, of pressure. But there are also some aspect of it that complicates life for the rest of us. So uh, there has to be maybe toughening of some uh, rules or, or an increase of more sanctions targeting some specific elements of the regime. Let's say if tomorrow the IRGT is placed on, on the list of terrorist organizations, more sanctions could come. But then also there are individual targeted sanctions of the, the top echelon of the regime and, and, and their relatives or whoever benefits from that, that could be directly sanctioned. So there are other ways to also uh, put more pressure on the regime, but also facilitate on the other side by making some exceptions to the rules so that the rest of us trying to bring uh, help 
to our fellow compatriots uh, back home uh, are not suffering from the same uh, restrictions and have more ability to do that. So that would be smart sanctions, really. So, and smart sessions sound very difficult in a political environment, particularly in Western countries where there's a lot of to and fro with things. Let's go back to what you were saying about the, the people living in the, 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 the run-of-the-mill population who you say are very freedom-loving. They are, my understanding is they're under a lot of uh, economic pressure at the moment. Um, and it's not just the, the, the workers, it's also the pensioners. Can you talk a bit about that, about what's going on and what the West can do to help with that? Well, I mean, you're talking about a nation where 60% of the citizenry live at or under the poverty line for a country that has all the natural resources that could easily uh, be uh, providing people with uh, healthcare, with uh, work, with opportunities. Uh, our country doesn't lack the human or natural resources to have a very, very good economy in the future. Why is it North Korea rather than being South Korea? It's just the nature of the regime. It's as simple as that. You have a ruling armed mafia that controls every aspect of life in Iran, its economy. No surprise why we are in such a dire uh, situation. Um, what the West can do is, uh, as you know, of course, you should not look at what we're trying to do uh, as only a one-dimensional thing. Clearly, we have to liberate ourselves. It's about democracy. It's about self-determination. It's about freedom. But I have also engaged with two different tracks in parallel to what we have to do for political change in Iran. I've been assembling a cast of our best scientists and specialists to be able to come up with what Iran would be faced for the next half century at least as a roadmap to recovery. How do we tackle the various issues that Iran will be facing? For instance, from the water and, crisis, and, and which is a huge issue. Pre presumably, this would be this is a, a roadmap for what would happen in the event of a regime change. Yes, this yes, be... of course. This is this is under this, uh, different circumstances because yeah. uh, it, I mean, people understand that uh, what what freedom entails, but they need to also understand in what way it will impact them. So what we're trying to do is to come up with solutions so future governments will be able to implement them in terms of how do we deal with the water issue, how do we deal with health issues, how do we deal with cleaning up our environment, and, and so on and so forth. I've also engaged with uh, entrepreneurs worldwide, including Iranian entrepreneurs, so that the potential for investment in Iran, not only by the existing infrastructure, but also renewable energies uh, that Iran, I think, calls for, the solar. You mentioned Australia. We had uh, recently a panel of experts talking about energy in Iran, about oil and gas, and how we transition to renewable energies, uh, solar energy, uh, wind energy, all and of these is, are implemented. It is very clear that Iran has all the natural resources it needs and then some and has got a population of some very smart people. And that's, that, <laughs> yes. that's what, it need, what is needed. But I was trying to but, answer but, your question uh, in yeah. the sense that where the work can actually help is to put together uh, and, and work with us so that this, these kind of projects that could immediately, the minute you hit the ground, it can start running. We won't wait and only start thinking now that what do we do? We already have a game plan. This incentivizes people at home. This tells the world that, yes, that, you know, there is at the end of the question, well, what's in it for us? Let's say if you're France or Germany or, or the United States or any other country, okay, we help them, but what's in it for us at the end? Do we gain by it? Is it going to be good for our own uh, uh, private sector and companies and what have you? This has always been the game. Our objection to the world was you are basically doing business with a regime that kills our people. 
but deal with a country that is free and then by all means pursue your interest. That's the only win-win scenario that I can foresee. And, and we have and, to anticipate that. And how likely is it that you see within the next five years, and I hope it's not five years more until we talk again, I hope it's much sooner than that. Um, five weeks will so be good. <laughs> but what do you think is the chance of something happening within the next five years to get a new government in or to get a softer, more representative of the people. I mean, we know that representative government is is very different in different parts of the world, but some form of representative government, when do you see that coming? Well, obviously, the minute this regime is no longer there, uh, you know, we are entering a phase of transition where you would have a, a temporary government composed mostly by individuals that are currently inside Iran. They're bureaucrats, or yeah. technocrats, in fact, maybe managing some... Uh, uh, different uh, entities or, or, or ministries in Iran, their hearts are with the people and they're competent enough, most of them, to be able to uh, manage this transition because the country cannot stop working. While we are preparing the grounds for the elections of people's representatives to a constituent assembly to debate every aspect of what do we propose for the future in complete transparency, not behind closed doors. Yeah. So unlike 44 years ago where Khomeini came and didn't give away any aspect of what he was actually doing. By the time people realized it was too late, this time in full transparency, people will be able to understand and compare and make their final choice. So that's, if you will, the democratic process leading to a representative government in the future. That's what every Iranian nationalist today is vested in, irrespective of their political tendencies, because yes, we are a very diverse society. We have right, center, and left. We have Democrats mm -hmm. that are both either Republican or they might be constitutionalists or monarchists. But the whole point is to achieve a, a, a country where we can guarantee and the is, rule of is law there a, and human rights. And that plan, obviously, is, a, is a, a great first step and a very important one. What is the likelihood and the timeline that you see that happening? Because it has been an inordinately lo long time since right. the revolution right. happened and some horrific things have happened in Iran, and that's what we know about. I don't know what we don't know about. There may be maybe worse things. What What is your timeline, do you think? Well, again, it depends on what, how do we address the, the three elements that are, to me, the three pillars uh, key in my strategy of how I see change coming about. The first two are external, and it's a combination of A, a policy of maximum pressure, yeah. which is what we discussed to some extent, which means more sanctions, more targeting of the regime's key elements to try to make life miserable for them. That's one thing that will at least help the people know that something is being done in terms of pressure. But parallel to maximum pressure, there should also be a policy of maximum support. How, in what shape can we actually help Iranians be empowered? Let's say the most immediate ask that we have are two things. One is, not be disconnected from the world. So internet connection is the key element that helps us in this phase of the struggle to be able to voice what's going on in Iran so the world finds out what's going on, that Iranians at home could benefit from that information. And another aspect that I briefly addressed, which is how can we actually find a way to help uh, our compatriots at home by means of bringing the financial support that they need to continue their campaign particularly as it relates to organizing uh, labor strikes, which I think is a key element. So the more we have that, that will reduce the time and will precipitate, uh, if you will, uh, the, the, the pace of things. 
the more more labor, labor more labor strikes will precipitate faster movement is, is what you're saying yeah, because, because the regime will be but there's also a third element that this time is only internal to us Iranians, and that is our comportment, our method of struggle, uh, our calling for national reconciliation and amnesty can guarantee us, but maybe guarantee is not the right word, can perhaps be bringing maximum defection or maximum, uh, you know, moving away from the regime towards the people. I'm particularly uh, uh, focused on military and paramilitary forces. Understand one thing, not all of them are partners in crime with the regime. The top echelon might be people who one day will have to account for their uh, uh, crimes uh, and be uh, tried, as we saw at the end of the Second World War and the Nuremberg trials when the top officials of the Nazi regime were uh, prosecuted. But if you don't leave room for the majority of them who are just earning a living, don't have their hands uh, uh, bloodied uh, by their competitors, they need to understand that they can survive regime change and there would be a place for them in the future. It is time for them to abandon this regime and join the people. That process is not an overnight affair. It is in direct correlation with the first two factors. So the more we gain momentum, the more people feel that they are empowered, the more the regime has its backs to the yeah. wall, and they will see that defections begin to increase more and more. That I think all of these three ingredients combined can dictate how soon or not we will be able to get to the finish line. You sound optimistic, which is you in fact sound more optimistic than you were five years ago, which is seeming like a, a, a good thing. I thank you very much, your 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 Imperial Highness, Reza Pahlavi. Really appreciate it. I'm Simon Constable. That's it.